welcome to episode 383 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. Yes, I am trying to make it weekly again. We'll see how long I last. But uh, today, I know I'm going to have no problem lasting the entire episode because I'm really, really excited to talk about this topic. Final Fantasy 16 and the three other panelists I know are also enjoyers of FF16. Um, this is a little bit less retro than our usual episodes, but like permit us this these a couple times a year. But uh, joining me tonight are Zach Wilkerson. Hello. Gio Castillo. Hey. And Tin Manuel. Hi. Well, thank you, Tin, Gio, and Zach. Um, Final Fantasy 16 was one of the biggest RPG releases of the year. It came out in July. Uh, a, a lot. There was a lot of discussion and a lot of excitement surrounding it. It was pretty well received by mainstream critics and maybe had a more mixed reception among our ultra-specific um, uh, Final Fantasy fan audience, but I'm just going to say this right out of the gate. I'm This is going to be a very positively toned episode because I loved FF16. Um, I, I still have some feelings to work out about Zelda, but right now it's probably my favorite uh, game I've played in uh, 2023. But, um, but I also was very excited for it ahead of time. I bought into a lot of the hype. I watched a lot of trailers. Um, so... But before we get into the meat of the discussion, I want you to, to tell us a little bit, like, um, how excited were you for Final Fantasy 16 when it was just coming out, or maybe just before it was coming out? Uh, starting with you, Zach, who I know got to play the game a little early for review. Yeah, I mean, I played it, they gave it to us pretty early. It was almost a month before it came out, and that never happens. <laughs> um, those of you who are listening and don't know anything about the way codes come in, a lot of times it's like two days before. Get it out two days before. But this time it was like a month. But even before that, I mean, like, I was sitting there like next to my phone the day that like I kind of knew the code was going to come in and like I downloaded it immediately I told my partner like we need to hang up the call now I have a game to play <laughs> um and yeah I mean like I was uh, obviously very taken with it um you can go read my review um and I was you know saying things to the staff about how much I enjoyed it um and it, it's certainly for me uh, my game of the year and you know that's I haven't played some of the big hitters yet. Um, I just feel like this, this year is maybe going to go down as one of the greats. Um, but I, I find it difficult to believe that I'll play something that I liked better than Final Fantasy 16. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, your um, your feelings in the game are expressed very clearly in your in your review. You gave it a 97, but that 97 isn't even the highest number we've given to a game this year. Uh, 2023 is a crazy year for video games in general, maybe RPGs in particular. But uh, uh, Gio, um, what were your feelings on Final Fantasy 16 or maybe your hype level um, either just before or very early on in its release window? Yeah, until like almost the the, the week it's, it was going to come out, I was like kind of just, um, I was it was kind of middling. Like I, I didn't really feel very strongly about the game. I mean, I was excited because it's a new Final Fantasy and all, but um it uh like oh man i was one of those people who was like oh it doesn't doesn't look like the final fantasy i like like i don't it doesn't look like seven it doesn't look like eight or you know but like um i was open-minded i wanted to give it a shot and i came away liking it way more than i than i expected and i think i i was kind of like infected by Kin, who was like really much more excited <laughs> for it than i was yeah. All right, Tin. Uh, I think now you have to tell us. Uh, how excited were you um, either just before or very early on in playing FF16? Oh, boy. Um, like, I've been 
really looking forward to a new mainline and just from the very first time that uh this game was announced and that i've heard that it's gonna be uh done by uh cbu3 and uh, i just i i was just really so so excited for this to come out sooner like i was even expecting it to come out last year because remember when like they were always saying that it's already done and it just needs some polish and stuff and yeah um fast forward to nearing release date and uh hearing everyone um doing the initial reviews already you know just by bits of like uh things that zach was saying that he was just having fun um i it was already getting me so giddy and i i i literally told um geo the the other person right here um that we have to be there at the physical shop uh (laughs) the moment the mall opens to pick it up so yeah i played it uh as soon as uh, as we got home and yeah there and the rest is history now you did mention cbu3 or creative business unit 3 that that's a division within square enix that uh handles final fantasy 14 and final fantasy 11 and and I i think that was maybe the thing before FF16 came out, that had me the most excited. Um, Mm -hmm. A mainline Final Fantasy game, which we know will always have the biggest budget of a Square Enix game, headed by Naoki Yoshida, a.k.a. Yoshi P, music by Masayoshi Soken. Um, That was exciting to me. Then every trailer I saw just seemed to be dramatic and and exciting. Um, And and, and it was centered around Final Fantasy Summons, which I I thought was a really good decision because I I just, FF Summons are, I think, one of the coolest things about Final Fantasy. And uh, and I didn't I didn't really know a lot of what was going on, mm-hmm. uh, but but every bit of hype I saw for FF16 really made it look like uh, this game was going to be huge and special. And I think that 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 um, those ideas played out. Uh, and, and and also, um, well, we can talk about the gameplay a little bit later. Um, let's talk about Clive. Uh, the the hero of Final Fantasy 16, Clive. How many I, hours do we have? Oh boy, <laughs> I, I I I would love for this podcast to be under two hours, but we'll we'll, we'll, we'll do we'll do our best. I, I I mentioned this in an episode earlier this year, but I I feel like Clive is was sort of just designed to be as cool and appealing as possible because he's mm-hmm. uh he he's handsome, he's stylish, he uh, is both a, a he both is a former noble and was a slave for many years. So he has like, so he's sort of like a, a, a man of the people in multiple ways. Um, they, they, he's an awesome swordsman and an awesome magic user. Uh, he is somehow like gruff and a little bit edgy, but also very friendly and, uh, and is, and accepts everyone around him. It's like, they're, they sort of, I, I, I think that they are investing a lot into Clive. In a, in a way that, that like they they tried they just worked really hard on making the best Final Fantasy protagonist they could and I think it basically worked because I love the man. I mean, and I think they kind of needed to with the way this game is structured. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one one of the um, criticisms that I hear from people, even people I respect, are like I feel like the party dynamics aren't as strong as they could be. Even though you have people in your party, they don't feel like they're really participating as much as maybe they do in other games. But Clive 
manages because of the things you said, I think manages to carry so much of the emotional weight um, centered on him. And even if there isn't as much party, uh, you know, chatter or whatever, like there might've been even in 15, I, I just think that he, he is a person who I was happy to follow for 70 hours um, because he's such a, such a fascinating person and so deeply relatable, but also um, just so freaking cool. Uh, I, I do agree with, um, with Zach. Uh, a lot of people really like, you know, would nitpick each and uh, each dominant apart from Clive. And uh, a lot of people are not really getting that this story is focused entirely on Clive. And um, uh, before even I started playing the game, I was also wondering when they were in interviewing each um, developer who worked on this game and they were all asking, who's your favorite one? And all of them just straight up would answer Clive. And yeah, after playing the game, I understood why. Yeah, Zach had made a good point in that Clive bears the emotional weight of the story, but also sort of the gameplay burden of the story. He's the only char uh, character manipulated by the player. Um, the game plays a basically like a solo action RPG, but but very quickly and intensely. And um, and you know you you can call on Torgal for an, for an assist in certain moves. And oh boy, do you remember the um? I, I think the first fight against Benedicta, the small version, where she like kicks Torgal aside. And yeah, he's, I he, hated he's, her. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's and he's and he's away from the battle for a little while, but then he comes in and makes a save when she gets down to the twenty five percent mark or something like they, they, like even though this is a a the, the gameplay is solo action and Clive is the, the 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 player is a passenger to Clive's story the entire time, like the interactions I feel are really good. Like like they make the entire cast likable because. Mm -hmm. Because not only is Clive a strong protagonist, he's a good sounding board for everyone else. And uh, in in the non-Clive division, I mean, I, I mentioned Torgal, your dog. It's, I mean, I, I mean, of course they they make Clive even more likable by making him a dog person. <laughs> and um, um, but uh, your your two steadfast companions for the first half of the game, other than Torgal, are uh, are Clive's childhood friend Jill and Clive's mentor Sid, and uh. I mean, can we just throw this out there right now? I think this is one of the best SIDs we've ever had. Yeah, oh, it's the I would best agree. Sid, in my it's opinion. the best SID, yeah. 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 It's, he's phenomenal. <laughs> he's awesome. Like he's he he he's very gruff, but also it, it just so likable. He fights with two swords, he's so cool. He has these lightning powers, but you can also tell he's sort of suffering a little bit and uh, and very world weary. Uh, and and uh, and and the the timbre of that actor's voice is I'm, I'm not surprised he gets voiceover work in the UK because he he it's a it's a killer voice. Yeah. Oh my God, the voice acting for Clive is amazing. I I wanted to say that. <laughs> Clive, yeah. Clive, Clive's voice actor killed it. The performances I, I like, in this game are strong all around. Yeah. I like. I mean, a big part of why Clive works is that um, I forget. Of Ben Star, like he he put in like a performance for the ages, I think. Like in terms of like he he the the way he emotes at the end of the game, like I mean, I don't want to get there yet, but yeah, like it's a ooh, it's a big reason why I personally fell in love with Clive. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the voice acting is amazing, but I, I I think about like Sid, and it makes sense given where it goes. It sort of ends up being sort of like a proto proto Clive. 
um, to some degree. And he has a lot of very similar characteristics, a little more gruff, maybe a little more sarcastic, a little more world weary. But um, I, I think that the things that make Clive work are the same reasons we like Sid. And uh, he's just like so effortlessly cool. Um, mm-hmm. It's awesome. But also like the relationships he has with people. Um, he, he's very believable as as the leader of the hideout. And um, if he doesn't win our best supporting character this year, I will be astounded. <laughs> <laughs> the only uh, like end of year award I'm more certain of is Torgal winning best mascot or animal. Right. <laughs> it, 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 there's I mean, if, if anything else wins, I'm, I, I will quit the website. <laughs> but the the uh, I, I mentioned part one, part two uh, or or, uh, or things of that nature. But this game is sort of divided into, I think, some pretty discernible chunks. Um, the game opens with Clive as the member of, a, of some kind of um, special forces operation of, uh, of basically magic using assassins that are targeting the dominant of the uh, Iron Kingdom. There, there's a big battle going on between the Dalmecan Republic and the Iron Kingdom. And um, uh, a Clive's unit is from the Empire of Sambrek, but, uh, but, but their goal is to kill the, the summoner of Shiva, who's a captive of the Iron Kingdom. And, um, but then uh, Clive, I think he takes a fall or a hit, and um, suddenly we're thrown back to teenage Clive and sort of we uh, learn ex- as we there's sort of a how, so how did how did I get how did I get here kind of moment, um, and it shows that Clive was the prince of a nation called uh, Rosaria. He has the uh, his younger brother Joshua was the dominant of Phoenix, which is you know dominant is their word for for summoner, and icon is their word for the, for summon. Um, the, the, we get sort of gameplay tutorials because um, jo- because Clive is sort of. Uh, a, a sort it was sort of knighted um by joshua J- joshua is able to let clive borrow a tiny bit of phoenix's powers so he can use you know some fire some fire spells and fire moves in addition to sword play even though he uh clive is unable to summon anything directly at this time uh and and, and you meet um your uh your childhood friend jill you meet torgal as a puppy you meet uh, uh um clive and joshua's very cool dad and very uncool mom um I'm I'm just gonna throw this out there. Is is Annabella their mother maybe the most hateable character in this whole game? Oh, I mean it's not even close. <laughs> she, like and and this game gets compared to Game of Thrones often because the, mm-hmm. the, like they, they were trying. I think they were trying to capture some of um, Game of Thrones's politics and drama and brutality or its blend of those three things. Annabella uh, Rosfield really reminded me of Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Cersei Lannister is like five times more relatable. <laughs> I mean, like Annabella is like in, in a game where there are a hundred amazing characters who are all relatable in some way. She somehow manages to carve out. And there are moments that I felt bad for her, like toward the very end. But man, she's so hateable. <laughs> she's the worst. She's awful. Uh, like j- just out of sheer annoyance towards Clive. She sells out their entire kingdom, basically. <laughs> At the end of the flashback, um, uh, Clive's father and and brother and and Clive are all traveling together um, to sort of uh, to to inspect a fort and um, and and possibly defend against a, an an upcoming offensive. But it goes horribly wrong because Annabella, Clive's mother, and uh, basically sold out their kingdom to the Empire of Sambrek. Um, uh, Clive's brother Joshua appears to die. Um, there's a huge explosion of flame where uh, Phoenix and an unknown fire icon attack each other. 
and but Clive is found alive and is uh and in, enters slavery through the Empire of Sandbrek, which uh, which puts him in this uh sort of special forces uh dead men unit, which is uh which takes us back to the very very beginning of the game. Um and 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 there you uh he reunites with Jill, who is the summoner of Shiva or the dominant of Shiva, and had been captured by the Iron Kingdom years ago. And then uh, Clive and Jill together are picked up by Sid, who's the dominant of Ramu and can use some, uh, uh, thunder magic and sort of and uh, and is and uh, turns out that Sid is the person who adopted Torgal years ago in Clive's absence. So so for the large like first third or first half of the game, Clive, Jill, Torgal and Sid are sort of the crew that you roll with. And um, we haven't really mentioned Jill yet. Uh, she is maybe the most ever present companion to Clive other than Torgal. Um, what do we think of her? Because I, I think she's had a bit of a, more of a mixed reception compared to Sid. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, for me, um, I do like Jill. Like, um, her, her summon and 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 her personality overall. But um, in this game, since I uh, since the focus is literally in uh on Clive. I I was really hoping that um the next DLC that they uh they would come up with is uh about her life in in Iron Kingdom. I really want to get further into that, but it didn't make sense to me that um when we reach to that part when you um uh uh she meets up this um this woman uh and they had this like very heartfelt um conversation about keeping a promise and such like it didn't make sense to me that there's nothing else beyond that like i really want to look further into that i i i think that there's a lot of sort of implied relationships or implied things that happened behind the scenes in this game only because this is a big expensive game and they can't they can't show every single event as text on the page that's probably why they uh created that active time lore (laughs) Um, for uh, for a lot of parts of the game you can pause and sort of uh go over the different topics or characters or locations being discussed and get information on all of them and i i found myself pausing to learn active time lore all the time um that, that that's how i learned that jill is not from rosaria where, where clive and joshua from are from north. yeah she's yeah. Mm-hmm. she's from a a defunct kingdom in the far north was uh was taken in as a sort of political prisoner to be uh clive and joshua's companion mm-hmm. and ended up being mm-hmm. a close friend to them but 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 also because shiva's power originates from the north it's probably why she was a, able to become shiva's dominant later in life yeah, unfortunately, um, if I had to name my largest criticism of this game, it would be Jill. Um, and, and I agree with everything that Tin said. I think that her design is incredibly cool. I think that her version of Shiva is really cool. Mm-hmm. But where I struggle with uh, her is, A, I agree with you, Tin. I think that whole sequence in the Iron Kingdom is like half-baked. It's like she has this incredible, like almost out of nowhere, she's like, I need revenge so badly. And like we had never really heard that before. And then as she's going through it, we see these couple of relationships and we kind of get an idea that they're like doing child sacrifices, but it's never made clear. Um, but my biggest issue is like I, outside of that, I can't name a single character trait that Jill has except for I like Clive. Um, and so when you get to that scene on the beach where like out of nowhere, she's like, oh, you need my power. And he's like, really? 
And he's like, okay, I guess I'll take it. And that's the end of the conversation. Um, I, I'm very troubled by the way that she is sort of written. And, and, you know, I know a lot of people on the internet are like, oh my gosh, the female characters in 16 are the worst. I totally disagree with that. Um, but I do think that Jill is pretty weakly written. Um, and I, if they did a DLC, I would love for it to focus on Jill because I think there's a lot of potential there. But I feel like it gets so consumed by her relationship to Clive, which makes sense. But every, every other character in the game, I think literally like, I think about Isabella, I think about uh, Taria, all these other female characters who have a personality are given that. And Jill, I think that this game has a Jill problem. It's literally my number one criticism. My, my number one criticism of FF16 is sort of related to Jill. Um, There's just so much suffering depicted in this world that I, uh, I, I, I felt like it was dragging, it, it was dragging down my own fun a little bit. Like I, I, I don't, I, of course, they should be allowed to tackle uh, challenging subjects like, like, like slavery or sex work, and they, and, and they do. But it, it feels like everyone in this game is a former slave, and, mm-hmm. um, and, and so, and, and branded, which are, uh, or uh, 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 magic users are, 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 are second class citizens in this world. Although um, Clive's father is one of the few nobles that treated them with uh, with with uh, respect, you're always hearing about about slaves being murdered or uh, or, or 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 slaves stuck in the system. And Clive is a former slave, and 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 Jill was with the Iron Kingdom, where uh, where magic users are treated even worse than usual. And she was, and and she was basically tortured into becoming Shiva's dominant. It, it's I I just I just wish that there was um I I don't know it, I felt like I was just of all the topics that FF sixteen ad, ad, like addresses I felt like they were hitting us with the slavery hammer a lot but I I basically agree I think Jill's great I like her design I like her presence but she felt just a little bit undercooked like because maybe it's because so much of the focus is on Clive and to a lesser degree Sid like I I feel like they that they didn't give Jill like enough enough room to work enough dialogue with people other than clive uh, she didn't I, I don't i think that she's a good character but she maybe feels underused or uh because they just didn't give her a lot of room to work with i mean not to get into joshua yet but like, i feel like they could have combined jill and joshua in a way like maybe joshua could have stayed dead and jill kind of took on what josh would do it would have been better I think for the story, I don't know. I, like it's just like she's so underbaked. She's so under. Like uh, every other line from her is just like um, how much she loves Clive, and I feel like it would. She would have been a richer, more full character if she was more integral to the story. At least I don't know. I, I feel like she's important to Clive, but I I I I, I felt like they, they they didn't really give her enough unique dialogue or you know dialogue other than just agreeing with clive and saying let's go to the next place uh to to have her shine as a character like uh, like i mean uh, for female characters in previous final fantasy games we we can probably identify one or more key moments that define her as a character but with jill what's what's her key moment that defines her it's it's giving her powers to clive or being rescued by clive that's a good hmm. way of putting it. <laughs> Pers- uh, personally, I couldn't think of any other character actually that's um, a good partner for Clive, but Jill 
alone but um that was a problem like comparing to all other dominus i feel like she had the worst time and and they didn't really um talk about that properly i'd say like she yeah. was used as a weapon for years and all that and even um I, uh, they didn't even also talk about like how she uh get into Rosaria and all that so yeah yeah yeah, yeah you have to find some of that buried in the active time lore and yeah. <laughs> um and, and and this game has a lot of lore like if, if you talk to the to the lore master character in the hideaway or uh or the or the sort of politics mistress um oh shoot what's her name uh, uh vivian the like it there's a lot of like if, if you want to you can just read background lore to this game over and over this is like almost elder scrolls or dragon age le levels of storyline hidden in the back for you to find but uh let's move on from jill a little bit you, you mentioned um that uh, that she's like the least developed of all the, of all the dominants um the first dominant that we encounter as an opponent in this game is benedicta who she who is an officer in the uh in the kingdom of Walud. I think she's their spy mistress or uh or uh, head of uh information bureau or something. Um and she's the dominant of Garuda the wind summon. And in Benedicta who's only really in the first quarter of the game, maybe first 20% of the game, we ha we get that she is sort of behind her king's back in a relationship with uh the dominant from the Dalmachian Republic. She has a past with Sid where he, it seems that he rescued her from a, uh, fr from a ghetto and helped her out of po poverty. She's maybe still in love with Sid. Um, there's a, a, and, and, uh, but she's also sort of like, um, a, a, she's had a sort of like a a sadistic edge to, to her when she's fighting Clive or, or uh, taunting Clive and Sid. And, and again, she's like the first sort of antagonist that you clash with in the game. But I, I feel like she had a lot of personality and they gave her more sort of meaningful story moments than than Jill got. And um, and, and it gets really uh, dramatic after you defeat her. Um, she sort of loses control of her powers and uh, and turns into a giant version of Garuda. Clive has to fight her on foot and then transform into a giant Ifrit to defeat her. And uh, I guess we're, we've glossed over it a little bit. Um, this is that's the moment where Clive discovers that he was the monster that fought Phoenix in the flashback years ago. And that leads Clive to believe that he murdered his brother Joshua in a, in a, because he was unable to control his own flame powers. And that's a, one of the first moments that we get in sort of Clive uh, uh, dealing with this, like uh, of, of some major emotion emoting coming out of Ben Starr's uh, likeness. Um, but what do we think of um of of the battle with Benedicta and and Clive dealing with being Ifrit? Oh, those battles were super cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they basically give you kaiju fights f uh, like four or five times in the game that are giant Final Fantasy summon versus Final Fantasy summon and they are incredible. Like like for uh, for the, you know, for how unique this battle system is compared to past Final Fantasy games, like this the level of spectacle and action is in is amazing especially in the icon battles no i mean i think that you get a little taste of it when you have the ifrit phoenix fight but here it's like okay this is what this game is capable of doing and then up through the next few icon fights it just like they ratchet it up ratchet it up ratchet it up 
And so you're literally like fighting in space. Um, <laughs> although the Titan fight, I think, is still my favorite. But yeah, I mean, I think that mixing how fun I think the combat is in general with the spectacle of it and even like some of the QT stuff like I'm cool with because it's just like so fun to watch. But I also just think that Benedicta, I know um, as you were describing her, I'm like, oh, like personality was just described as like three men in her life. And I think there's something to that. But she's she has such an aura and a presence that I still feel like she is a, a really compelling villain. And I think that. Well, I would have liked to have seen more of her. I do think it is impactful um, from a storytelling perspective how quickly she's taken out by Clive and uh, it, it helps characterize Sid and it does all these other things. Um, and I think that it's really cool. And uh, I really like that moment that Torgal, you know, goes and bites her too. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, uh, oh, oh God. Sequence. Like, like I, I gasped when she kicked Torgal away and then gasped again when he came back in to dramatically uh, save Clive. It was like, like, like the, the battles are the, the combat in this game is consistently exciting, but the scripted moments like the big icon QTEs and, uh, and, and some sort of battle interruptions like the Torgal moment are, are just incredible like, like this game is basically fun to play but when they move into set pieces it i think that's where it crosses the line into just uh into downright awesome it it, it reminds me of like the best fights in devil may cry or god of war games i i feel like benedict is like kind of a dark horse candidate for like dlc almost because like there's a lot to her that's like kind of just hinted at like she has um, so of all the dominants, she's like the one who's like most dependent on being a dominant. Like she, she was like the most sad when she lost her powers to Clive, and um, she clearly has like some like self esteem issues, and and like the 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 very short flashback that we saw of like her meeting Sid, like there's so much there. There's so much there. She's she. It's true that she's kind of like defined by the men in her life but there's so much to explore i really enjoyed her too like i thought she was um uh more compelling than some of the other antagonists in the game i'd say if we'll talk about the one antagonist i feel is the least compelling um, uh, I, I i think you probably know who i'm talking about as well yeah but yeah, uh probably thinking maybe the same person <laughs> probably yeah but i i, I don't want to spend too much time in one place because um there's just a lot to go deal with here. Clive sort of is is uh, uh, wrestles with the idea of being Ifrit. It has to sort of go into um, he he enters a, a ruin by Phoenix Gate where uh, where that disaster happened in the past and is able to sort of confront the icon within him in one of the I, I think one of the best fights in the game. Oh, where, it's so cool. Yeah, where where Clive yeah. has to has to fight a, a giant a, sort of a um a, a dark tinged version of himself. Then he transforms into Ifrit to fight to fight a bigger Ifrit. And and the 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 music that plays in that in that fight is amazing. Um, and it, it, two people I haven't really mentioned yet. Masayoshi Soken's soundtrack in this game, awesome. I, I think is the the the, the final version that releases is going to be was it like six discs or something insane? It's seven with a an eighth bonus disc. Holy moly! <laughs> and um and and uh, and I mentioned that the the battle the battles remind me of God of War, Devil May Cry. That was a little bit de deliberate on my part because Ryota Suzuki one of the lead designers of Devil May Cry 5 was the battle supervisor on this game and i i think that like Clive is so fun to control the icon battles are so awesome and um even the skill system i think is fun to play around with in this game it, it was it they just knocked almost every gameplay theater out of the park unless you are 
so attached to the idea of multi-character combat that you that you automatically dislike it but to the, to them i say i want every action game and every rpg to be as fun as this one yeah um specifically that awakening scene or that awakening moment for clive i literally felt like a kid and you know uh playing something and um for the very first time and uh finding a really really cool character that you like and you'd be like mom i want to be this guy <laughs> that's literally how i felt after after going through that scene <laughs> yeah i mean i felt like uh you know um when i first played final fantasy 4 sorry spoiler alert for a very old game <laughs> uh when uh cecil has to confront himself um and just like it at the time i just thought that was like mind-blowing but here it's like a, a full actualization of what that can look like um and it, it's such a even though i knew something like that was going to happen it is the execution and the music mm. oh the music uh it, it, it's <laughs> it super sells that moment i i really think that this game's core concepts and its action and its music and visuals are always enhancing each other like like every time I had an, there was an amazing battle or I learned a new skill, the next battle or the next skill managed to increase the stakes even more. And and, and again, the, this game is, is basically melodrama with some politics with lore buried behind a lot of text. But but the moment to moment gameplay, I just felt just kept getting better and better. And I and I, I almost couldn't believe that every time I, I encountered something that was bigger than the thing before it. And and it's I mean the the first big set piece I also sort of don't count the Efreet versus Phoenix fight at the beginning is are the battles against Benedicta and it, it just set an such an incredibly strong precedent and um and and yeah yeah like like I I felt like a little kid playing um oh I don't know playing like Chrono Trigger for the first time and and thinking that this game is going to become my whole personality like that that's yeah. that that's how I felt <laughs> when I when I with with the, with the find the flame battle. Um, but but after this, uh, the next set of missions take place in Sandbreck. Um, you meet one of my uh, <laughs> one of one of my favorite uh, um, minor NPCs here, uh, the the proprietor of the brothel in the, in one of the towns outside Sandbreck. Um, oh man, I, I feel awful for forgetting her name. But Is, Isabel is amazing. Yeah, is Isabella. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's incredible. This game, even the minor characters in this game are awesome. But. Uh, yeah, um, basically, you go there to try and uh, because Sid has determined that the crystals that sustain uh, life on the uh, uh, in the, all the civilizations here are also draining life from the surrounding uh, from the surrounding land and slowly turning it into ash. So 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 Clive's new mission is to sort of destroy the source of power and protection that uh, civilization has relied on so that the world can recover, you know, like hearkening back to the days of when Final Fantasy kingdoms revolved around the crystals they housed and how there was a quasi-environmental threat in the, um, uh, in, in the back of the more immediate threat, kind of like Final Fantasy VII. Um, that, that, that felt very throwback to me when, when every kingdom had a crystal and there was both political threats and monster threats and environmental threats. Uh, the, the, again, again this, this game is extremely modern, but but was like deliberately trying to throw it back to Final Fantasy of the past in a way that I almost always found satisfying. Um, but but that ends in sadness. Uh, you 
you you meet Ultima for the first time, uh, a uh, or in the form of a uh, of sort of an avatar of his, and and determine there's there's some godlike being that is trying to stop whatever Clive's doing, and uh, sadly Sid loses his life uh, at the end of the of that uh, of that conflict. But before doing so, passes his remove remove powers to Clive, and you know I I think we haven't mentioned this yet, but um Clive gains um Benedictus Garuda powers after defeating her. And then, um, and, and then, you know, uh, we mentioned that eventually Jill ga- gives him Shiva powers and Sid gives him Remu powers. Clive is a little bit Mega Man. He, 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 <laughs> dis- he, he gets, he gets the special abilities of everyone he defeats. Yeah, exactly. Like a new, a new part of Mega Man customized hunting and, his body. And, and, and every time you, you know, get icon powers, they, that sort of adds skills to the uh, adds uh, skills to the list of abilities that you can equip, and I had so much fun just experimenting with new moves and l- upgrading and leveling up or trait or uh, or switching out um, uh, skills in this game because by by the end Clive has what like between thirty and thirty five abilities you can mix and match around with. But, yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah. But but you only can you can only equip nine at a time or uh, uh, twelve at a time if you count if you count base abilities because you can you know you, there's a, there's a lot of skill customization you can do and, and and setting your loadout and experimenting with skills is something I like in a lot of RPGs um especially ones with class systems although this one lacks that but 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 it, they did a really good job with that in this game I'm curious what everyone's loadout was at the end like I, there's just so many options like for me yeah. I. I, I had I always had um the Titan shield thing going on and uh, deadly embrace like I always I always had that on and uh, Shiva Shiva's powers were OP so I I always had like the uh, the big one I can't remember what it's called but yeah diamond dust diamond dust yeah mm-hmm. yeah 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 diamond dust the the how it builds your stagger is absurd yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this game, this game was already cheese. like not very difficult before that but man once i had like i would just yeah. get them like 75 percent of their stagger meter down then throw diamond dust out and they're staggered i i, yeah. I uh towards the end of the game i use shiva a lot because i just like the shiva base ability that was basically just a quick icy dash yeah. that could also Cold snap yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, that could like that, that could yeah that could freeze or slow enemies as you pass them. I I really like the Phoenix quick teleport. I use that over and over in the game. Oh, same here. And and the uh, the Titan counter. So I I, I used uh, Phoenix Titan and Shiva the most by the end. But I had a mix and match of uh of Garuda and Bahamut skills on there. Um, the, the Odin skills you get at the very end are so so powerful. But I was already just really attached to the skills I was using. So mm-hmm. I, I I messed around with Odin for a little bit. But by the end I was I was mostly fixated on. Um, on Ifrit, Titan, Shiva, with some Garuda and Bahamut skills mixed in. Yeah, I mean, I I was all over the place. Uh, like Impulse, which is like a weirdly not very powerful skill, was like one of my absolute MVPs. No, because I could stand away and build up stagger without yeah, no, doing anything. Yeah, th- 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 <laughs> that's just like throwing out your little Bahamut satellites and them stunning enemies and building up stag- stagger for yeah. you. I I used Impulse. Yeah, I mean, I, and I've played through the first half again in Final Fantasy mode where you can carry all the things over. So I've kind of done it all. Um, like, I, apparently, like, the meta is, like, uh, basically an Odin build, which makes sense. Yeah. But I, I just thought uh, Z- Zentic Suitsen is so fun to use when you can build it. But, like, 
it didn't feel good to me to have moves that didn't really do damage that were just meant to build towards that. Yeah, I, I didn't I, do much with it. Uh, if you equip Odin skills, then I think your entire build sort of becomes mm-hmm. uh, I need to I need to, to just build the Odin meter up to Zantetsuken. Like and and, and it, I'm sure it's very powerful and it, and it did seem strong for when I messed around with it a little bit. But it's like I just I don't want to just devote all of my energy to Odin right now. I, I like my my mm-hmm. weird mix of stuff. But but for me, the most satisfying thing to do was a full Titan counter because I just loved the oh, yeah. I I, yeah. I just I, I loved the giant counter punch and I also loved the, uh, the wind up skill, which is which is just again just giant meaty stone punch. Whatever. I, I if, <laughs> if I had a favorite skill set in the game, it probably was Titan. Yeah, my second time through, I used a lot more Shiva and Titan, but I kind of used it all. But yeah, it's uh like getting either of those right, like the permafrost with Shiva or the Titan counter incredibly satisfying not necessary like i'm like i could kill this this enemy way faster but like i want to counter it because it's so fun <laughs> yeah and and and, and tight they had multiple titan moves have counter properties that are just really fun to deal with even the titan uh block animation uh really made it extra satisfying <laughs> <laughs> my favorite is is the giant Ooh, grunt that Clive yeah. does when you, when you when you use the wind up skill but uh yeah. but 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 yeah the, again this, this game is just fun uh start to finish um and and titan is the character is the uh uh icon that you encounter next after sid passes away but uh um leading up to that sid passes away and clive takes on the name of sid and sort of becomes the new sid the outlaw because you know it's it's better to you know it was more valuable to inherit that reputation than form a new reputation because their their goal is to is to save as many um as many branded magic users as they can and uh and, and also you know enact meaningful change in the world and destroy the the uh all of the crystals um in in on the two continents but uh the next part of the game is going through the desert kingdom um on the way uh, uh, uh like trying to sort of trying to sort of get to hugo the um the the very very powerful figure within the Dalmechian republic that is also titan's summoner um uh uh I, we we get one of my favorite moments in the entire game where Clive reunites with his uh with his uncle Byron. Mm-hmm. I, I I actually cried <laughs> when when uh when Byron like drops his axe and goes, "You you never let me play Sir Crandall because like <laughs> because Clive like like does a monologue from a play that they used to enact together uh when when Clive was was a child, but but, but yeah um I, I mean I mean I'm all over the place here I'm sorry but uh, um. Hugo is another sort of larger than life character and he becomes this the 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 game's antagonist for a, a a section of the middle of the game even though the the threat of Ultima is sort of looming behind him. Uh, what do we think of Hugo? He was my least favorite Dominic, I'd say. Um Oh, really? Cuz yeah, we weren't like... we weren't talking about the same person then. <laughs> yeah. Uh compared to everyone, I do love like the fight between uh, him and Clive. It was it was also the coolest fight, and also had the coolest music, uh, so battle epic. music. Yeah, but um, I'd say like among all of the other dominants, it he was all I could remember about Kuka is that he was just the leader and uh, of that republic, and also the dominant of Titan, and also just crazy obsessed about Benedicta. That's the only thing I could think about his personality overall (laughs) it's interesting because i like Kuka a lot i think he's a great villain um and i think part of it is that 
he's so imposing. Um, like mm-hmm. I feel like he's genuinely uh, frightening. And and granted, I think that his as much as I like the icon fight after it, um, I think that his is my favorite. Like I was just like my jaw was on the floor. I was just laughing because it was so insane. Like running up those arms, and then the last one. Like I was like, oh, there's another phase to this. Yes, please. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> but I I I I think that given what he does to the hideout right before the time jump. Uh, I think that the fact that his motivations are still at least clear and I understand them and I understand why he would be upset um, and how he sort of like lost his mind. Um, and like the fact that he loses his hands, Jamie Landerster style, I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that Kupka's a pretty imposing villain and I actually liked him quite a bit, but there's one later that I thought was pretty weak, but I, I, this one I liked. Yeah. And no, I, 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 I generally liked Hugo Kupka. He, uh, like it was basically just sort of rage and sorrow following Benedict's death with an obsession with Sid, which turns into an obsession with Clive when he realizes that Clive is the person who both killed Benedicta and has been Sid for uh, uh, the interim after the death of the original Sid. And, and, and like just, just so his, and, and he's also just so horrible. Uh, he, you know, he, he kills a lot of people in the original hideout um, including some people that you do you know, did side quests for maybe minutes earlier, um, and then he he uh, seizes the control of uh, Clive, Clive's former home the, uh, in Rosaria. Uh, he almost executes Jill right in front of him, but but then you know Torgal, Torgal gets a a you know transforming superhero moment right before that happens. <laughs> uh, uh, Clive cuts off Hugo's um, hands just after that, which doesn't which doesn't endear Clive to Hugo any any more than before. <laughs> Um, and then culminating in the truly insane awakened Titan fight where he eats the the crystal of Dalmecan Republic and turns into some crazy hecaton sheer size of size of an entire city Titan that again was maybe my favorite fight in the game, but at, at least just, you know, another instance of the game just continually outdoing itself. Uh, yeah. I totally agree. Like <laughs> him eating the crystal is just like a what what WTF moment, but like in the <laughs> but it, it's just hilarious. There's actually a lot of funny moments with Kupka. Like when he's he doesn't have his hands anymore, he's trying to eat and he's he can't eat it, so he just breaks the table. It's pretty funny. And and just I don't know, I find him uh he's pretty good actually, he's a pretty good character. I find him like he kinda of defies the stereotype of like of being like a simple minded brute because he's actually like kind of a schemer like he's yeah no, he, he, he's savvy, a he's a yeah. he's a cunning brute he reminds me like of a like 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 a leader of a gang or something because he he like uh the dumb i don't think he's the leader of the dalmecian republic i don't think because because again he's I think, the economic advisor but he essentially yeah. he essentially exert exerts his will when he wants to yeah yeah it, again this is this is another thing for the uh for all of the lore deposits in this game but like dalmecian republic does not have a a monarch but um because uh, Hugo wields so much power and wealth and clout. He is, he is the ruler of the Republic at least, uh, at least effectively. Which, which yeah. again makes me makes him think seem like a, a like a like the boss of a mafia or a or a political machine yeah. or something. I mean, like the very first scene you meet him in, he uh, takes like the the su- supposed leader, I think, of the Republic and pushes him down. So yeah, um, I think Kuka's interesting, and I like. Um, I like all the stuff in Delmechia too. I think that the um, what's his name? You mean the side character there, um, Lubor? I think is a oh great, yeah, great yeah. character too. Um, that's actually I think it's like 
that and the next sequence, I think, are to me like the two strongest sequences in the game. And part of it for me is that I was invested in Puka as a villain. I, I want to talk about side characters like Lubor a little bit right now, because as you go through the game, um, you're exploring new corners of the continent um, and encountering a lot of people. Like we mentioned Isabella, the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the the madam of the brothel in Sandbreck, and Lubor is sort of an influential merchant in part of the Del- in a in a desert town in the Dalmecian Republic. Like like throughout the game, you meet these people that are sort of um, associates of Sid or power players within Sid's resistance. They they give you badges or icons that allow you to you know interact with resistance people in the in their region and sort of like like, like it's it's I think it's better later in the game and maybe they backload too much of it to the end of the game. But all of the side content and these minor characters that you meet and how their quest lines go deeper into those characters, it it felt like the side quests were kind of weak at the beginning of the game when you're just sort of like introducing yourself to people. But by the end of the game, I was so attached to all of them because they're like Mass Effect loyalty missions. Like they, they take this large cast and endear the player to them by giving you a lot of great dialogue and good writing when you help them in these optional side quests. And, and, and Lubor and Isabella are, are two of the best ones, but uh, e- either characters in the hideaway or um, characters in the larger world. Do we, do we have a favorite sort of uh, not top billing <laughs> uh, kind of character? I, I, I have my answer, but I'll let someone else go first. There are so many to pick from. And uh, to, to pause for a second and talk because I, I, uh, about the side quests in general, like I agree. Um, but like when so I've heard a lot of people complain about the side quests, but for me, I'm like, I don't want big, complicated side quests. I want side quests that tell good character stories. And I think that towards the end, right before the time jump, when like, I don't know, like that person tries to sick a dog on you to kill you because they think you're a bearer. And then like you end up having to bury them. I think that's a beautiful side quest. And there are so many good side quests in this game that. I didn't mind that they weren't complicated. Like I don't want mini. I don't. I don't like mini games in my RPGs. I, I know that there are there are exceptions to that, but for the most part, like I, I don't need that. But ah, in terms of my favorite side character, I think I don't know. Byron's up there, but I know you probably want to pick. Uh, uh, I, I won't talk about Byron. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I got to go with Gav. Good old Gav. Um, Gav is amazing because <laughs> he, he feels like of the side characters who non-dominance, he feels like the most critical um, in a lot of ways to me. Um, he's phenomenal. Um, just like that, his the way he grows throughout the game, like the way Sid sort of treats him at the beginning and then he becomes such a critical part of the hideaway. And I also like that like they're almost all, all the side quests are located around the hideaway, so I don't have to go looking for them. I appreciated that. Uh, but Gav's great. I can't believe I didn't pick Blackthorn, but I'm going to go with Gaff. Um, for me, uh, my favorite is probably Isabel, although I also have a soft spot for Quentin from Lost Wing. He, they, have, they, kind of like, they kind of have like similar arcs. and Well, not really, but I mean, they serve similar roles in their communities. And um, actually, the, you know, the culminating side quest of, um, of Isabel with like, the conflict with like the remnants of the Sandbreak Empire was like really compelling to me. Like I feel like the side quests really help make the world, you know, they they make they help the world feel full, and they kind of you know they're I I don't know if they're political per se, but they have like you know they mirror our real world in a way that I found tasteful and 
um, compelling. Like they they actually have a point. I, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I remember I, I I saw a lot of complaints about the side quests while I was playing, um, and I at, at the beginning I sort of agreed with them. I was like, yeah, these these side quests are mechanically sort of boring. You're 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 fetching something or killing something and then reporting back. But the deeper you go, they you learn more about the communities you're serving and the main and the the sort of key characters in each location. I think the side quests get better and better, but start maybe slightly boring. And by the end, I felt very, very attached to way too many characters in this game. But um, the, the side quest that I I think is my favorite overall um, was is the White Winged Wonder side quest, where uh, you, um, you 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 chase after a chocobo that is uh, that that is sort of the, become the ringleader of the local chocobos around Martha's Rest, and then you realize you realize that it was actually. Um, uh clive's old chocobo steed ambrosia oh, from when he was a teenager yeah. and uh and after and after that you sort of um you you save some local chocobos and and ambrosia becomes your steed again and i, I don't know i just I, I mean i i i i love the seto stuff in final fantasy 14 so much and the boko stuff in final fantasy 5 so much i i think i just i i just get emotional when final fantasy respects their their uh chocobos <laughs> oh man or the, the end of the torgal side quest yeah, he's missing oh, Sid. Oh, was, so good. Yeah. Oh, and, and you and you go to <laughs> you go to their old treehouse. Oh, mm-hmm. it's oh, phenomenal. So good. that was my favorite. I'd say that was my favorite side quest. But going back to what you what you said about all of these reuniting moments, I, I, those were actually the the moments that made me really emotional. Like reuniting with Byron, reuniting with Ambrosia. And also seeing Joshua for the first time, all of those things just really touched me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that for all the set pieces this game has, and they're obviously incredible, for me, this game is as amazing as it is because of all these characters. I mean, I literally could have picked 40 characters here. And it's funny, my partner and I are watching Deadwood right now, and I'm like, there are like 20 characters in this show that are better than characters in any other TV show. And that's kind of how I feel about this game. Like, there are just so many good ones. Um, and as much as I like the set pieces, it is that moment-to-moment side quest storytelling that I think is what really pushes us over the top, like what Gio was saying. God, I really like Deadwood, but the thing that bothered me about that show is everyone is so dirty in that show. Like, like, <laughs> I, like, like I, I, I know they're cow- true here. <laughs> I, I know they're they're cowboys and frontiersmen in Deadwood, but the whole time I'm like, oh man, I wish, I just, I just wish. Uh, who who's the guy that plays Swear Engine? Well, I, I just wish they would all take a shower. Ian basically. McShane. Yeah. Ian McShane. That's it. It's a, I, I to, to him, he's he's the. Uh, I I I only know Ian McShane from Deadwood and John Wick, but that already puts him in the top tier of actors in my book. Um, <laughs> but 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 yeah, the the writing in this game is so good, and the more you play, and including the side quest lines, I feel the better the writing gets. And and this this game just kept outdoing itself. And um, Tin mentioned Joshua. Uh, you sort of uh, Clive has an inkling that jo- that Joshua is still alive, um, right around the time of Sid's death, because Joshua was able to stave off Ultima, and uh, um, and reveals that he has been sort of the a uh, he's been sort of shadowing um Clive for an undetermined amount of time. Um, uh, Cl- Joshua was uh, was saved by a secret order of uh of of knights that serve the Rossfield family. And, and he has been sort of working in the shadows the past several years. And, but, but they do reunite at one point, the next segment, the next sort of big um, gameplay segment of the game after 
uh, after the Titan boss fight is um, takes place in the Crystalline Dominion, which is sort of a, a, a which was a neutral country that becomes occupied by the uh, Sandbreak Republic. I'm, I'm sorry, by the Sandbreak Holy Empire, and it culminates in uh, some incredible drama happening all at once. Um, Annabella's third son, who uh, who she had with the um, with the Emperor of Sandbreck, uh, is revealed to be possessed by Ultima. Um, uh, Dion, the the Prince of Sandbreck, who is also the the dominant of Bahamut, completely loses his mind when he see when uh when his when you know his father steps into his own spear when he's trying to kill his half brother, uh, and you get the Bahamut boss fight which is, you know, huge, cool space dragon nonsense that ends with Clive transformed into Ifrit and Joshua transformed into Phoenix, combining into some Phoenix Ifrit, uh, like Megazord that was just, <laughs> that that was just completely, <laughs> completely bonkers from the get-go. I love how this game is Game of Thrones meets Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I, w- yeah, I was, I was, ha- um, sorry, yeah. Yeah. this I, fight, I, uh, <sighs> I'm just I'm just making sounds. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, I just want to say this fight is when I started getting Asura's Wrath vibes from this game. Like, I don't know if you guys have played that, but it's like oh, I have. Essentially, Asura, I have it, but I need yeah. to. Well, yeah, I got Asura's Wrath vibes. I think from the first fight with Garuda, where you have to mash the square button to um to defeat the clash. Because in Asura's Wrath, when they tell you to mash square, usually it's like the the square button starts exploding all over the screen. <laughs> and uh, uh, basically basically Asura's Wrath has the best quick time events ever and I say this as a fan of like a dragon games um but uh you know I, I understand the Asura's Wrath feeling Gio I do yeah I, I just I remember that fight where like the sword pierces the moon in Asura's Wrath spoilers but yeah uh, th- this was so absurd this fight was absurd and crazy and I loved it and I I, I was around when Tin was playing it and so I got kind of got spoiled I think kind of hurt the impact but Still, I, I really appreciate this Bahamut yeah. fight. It's, and the game, it's the game arguably turns the into, centerpiece of the game. The game turns into Star Fox for a moment, where you have to defeat all the targets around him before you can uh, defeat the main body. And it's, it, oh, oh man, yeah. it it, uh, it it was a genre shift that was almost near automata like, but I, mm-hmm. uh, I I I loved it again. Again, just incredible level of spectacle. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the spectacle there is remarkable, but I think that uh, now we get to talk about who I think is probably actually the strongest character in this game, who is Dion. <laughs> um, oh, I love Dion. Dion's, Dion's awesome. I, Dion, I, I feel like, um, goes through such an arc uh, from you know the beginning to here, where he's trying to sort of navigate things. Um, I like the way they present his sexuality a lot, and some people have complained about it, but mm-hmm. how it's just sort of there, um, and like it just keeps moving, and it's not like... A, conversation piece um i think that it is um progressive on that front um but i think that um he is such a he's so racked with guilt because it, he's sort of taken over by ultima and he destroys all these people uh in a way um but yeah i think that um dion is such a an interesting dominant for bahamut <laughs> in a lot of ways and i think that uh, he makes the game a lot stronger yeah i was gonna say zach that um I feel like it's not really clear cut who's going to win best supporting character anymore because Dion kind of had it's Dion's kind of close to Sid in terms of like um, fan reception. So I feel like he kind of has a shot at winning that accolade this year. Yeah, he plays an important role in the final um, fight. So yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, D- Dion is so cool that he really commands the screen every time he's present. Um, because, you know, he's, he's a silver dragoon that, uh, that, you know, trans- they can transform into Bahamut and zooms with, uh, they, they sort of repurposed um, Bahamut to be the icon of light this time. So he's sort of a holy crusader, but also a classic Final Fantasy dragoon. He's the coolest dragoon in the series, at least since Astinian, maybe since Kane. Mm-hmm. right and and uh and is absolutely awesome and from the from a very early point it's it's confirmed oh yeah he um he's in a relationship with a man um dion and his partner care deeply about each other and that's fine uh, in in a way that I, I again like you know if the people that complain about about that being in the game i, I don't think we should be friends um but yeah and uh, uh sort of when dion loses his mind you you uh i i think his his despair is over the top, but also understandable and similar to how uh, to how Benedicta's or Hugo's might have been. But um, I mean, in his case, he's like probably killed tens of thousands of people. I yeah, think. no, no. He, yeah, he <laughs> probably maybe even more because it, yeah. it, it was a, a highly populated city area is where is yeah. where he goes haywire as Bahamut. But um, he does become an ally at the end. And when he when he's, you know, saving you from Barnabas's forces or uh, Ultima's forces, like he was an extremely cool companion companion. Like I, I wouldn't mind Dion DLC personally. Mm-hmm. I'm actually glad that he had that chance to kind of redeem himself. Like thanks to that girl who little girl who helped heal him while he was, yeah. Um, left behind after that entire fight. So, and, um, yeah, I'm also looking forward if uh, Dion would get a DLC and would, for some reason, um, also I I'm I just have this um, hints or like I'm I'm just assuming by now that um they might show more of that little girl in the future probably because the art book that I got and the the girl there apparently her name's Kihel or Kihel I don't know how you pronounce it but the art book is showing of uh her her art that's that actually makes her look a bit more mature that she looks older here and with different clothing so yeah i'm kind of hoping that there's more to this okay yeah if if there's time if there's time skip (laughs) dlc maybe uh either kai hell or dion or both uh are present in it yeah that's interesting but um let's keep moving on a little bit um the one villain I felt was a little underbaked that I didn't I didn't like as much as as the other dominance is the one after Dion. That's Barnabas. Oh, yeah. I would agree. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> Bar- vocabulary. Yeah, but Barnabas is is the is the king of Walud, which is the uh, uh, the king of the neighboring continent. He had some allegiances with the Dominican Republic, but it sort of but it sort of ends up invading um the the continent of storm by the uh in, in sort of the second or the latter acts of the game um he's also revealed to be to be basically a tool of ultima ultima he worships mm-hmm. ultima like a god and uh he seems impossibly powerful um he's the dominant of odin uh he has a giant black sword um but i and and they they make him seem like a credible powerful threat but i just I don't know whether it's his weird mommy issues or how he felt underdeveloped and under emotional compared to the other dominants. I just, I just didn't like Barnabas as much as the other key antagonists of the game. 
No, I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, and, and I think that there, 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 there are things there like seeds they plant that totally could, you could do stuff with Barnabas. Like when you take Barnabas out, um, like sort of like how you have that, that flashback with Dion to find out what really happened to sort of lead him to, you know, destroying the city. I thought we were going to get one of those for Barnabas or something about his mom out or something. I mean, I feel like part of me thinks that like Barnabas is like vaguely immortal and they're trying to hold that information back for later to make him more interesting. But instead, like he's so one note um, where it's just like he says the exact same thing over and over and over again. <laughs> it's like this vaguely nonsensical religious crap. Um, and his design is so cool. Like it is like the coolest yeah. Odin ever. And Odin's always cool. Um, but like then his fight, which I thought was actually one of the more challenging fights, but like it's not really a dominant fight. After after you set that bar up here after Bahamut, I was like, ooh, what's Odin going to be like? And I was like, nope. Yeah, I'm it, not going to get to find out, I guess. It, I mean, you, I, I hope you're good at dodging and countering by this time because you really need to, you need to have your timing pretty good for this Odin fight. It's and it, it was less of a wild spectacle than the Titan or Bahamut fight, but um, but also just it didn't feel as satisfying to me either. And and I but by this point in the game, I had gotten decent at dodging and countering. So I was I, I think I handled it OK, but I, I don't know. I, I, I it felt like a letdown compared to how excellent Titan and, and uh, Bahamut were. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, th I think uh, it's because like even early on, like they were already like hyping it up that uh, Barnabas is super strong and super powerful and he he manages to manipulate benedicta and and all the other people and it was kind of underwhelming i guess that I don't, after the whole titan fight and the whole bahamut fight yeah like that's the fight that we got and we didn't really we didn't really get to know him a lot more than that but all all just like what Zach was saying that all he ever talks about is Mythos and Mythos and all that crap. Yeah, and, and Mythos is Ultima's name for Clive. Uh, yeah. uh, we'll talk about Ultima very soon. But again, I thought Barnabas was a, a very cool interpretation of a Final Fantasy Dark Knight. And this mm -hmm. is an extremely cool version of Odin. But his motivations and his sort of aftermath and his fight, I just thought weren't as good as, the, as uh, some of the ones earlier. Which which was a minor disappointment for me. But um, moving on again, um, Odin is the last power that uh, Clive takes on. Um, at, at this point, there's you you, the, you can sort of clean up all of the side content you want. Do uh, do hunts, do side quests for Blackthorn and everyone else to get the ultimate sword. Black Blackthorn is the the smithy of the hideout and one, another beloved minor character <laughs> that we have neglected to mention so far. Let's talk about Ultima a little bit. Uh, it's it, it Ultima is revealed at the end to be the god that created the crystals mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and sort of also uplifted humanity from a primitive state to a more civilized state. But then, be, be, after Ultima's form started to leave, he entered a slumber, intending to reawaken when a human had evolved enough to be an appropriate vessel to become a new Ultima, and that vessel is Clive. Like Clive is the is capable of absorbing the powers of of all six icons or uh, uh seven including Ifrit or maybe I'm miscounting. No, 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 no. Seven 
I mean, seven, Leviathan, we haven't talked about yeah, the Lost Leviathan, yes, which will definitely be DLC. Yes, I, I'm certain there's going to be Leviathan <laughs> DLC. That, that's yeah. the only DLC I would bet on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but basically Clive is uh, Ultima's ideal vessel, and uh, Ultima and Barnabas both refer to Clive as Mythos, which gives me um, uh, Tales of Symphonia vibes, if you know, you know. And uh, and But basically, is a creator god of sorts that's reawakened and is trying to sort of grasp back its um its uh its uh its omnipotence that it used to have by taking over Clive and absorbing the entire world and possibly um destroying it uh, the entire world to create a new one again, which is you know that that's some uh some JRPG villain motivation that we've seen a bunch of times, but but Ultima is not my favorite villain in this game, but I think Ultima is convincingly powerful and alien seeming like like this is another existence that is that that is a, a credible threat at least and, and at least did a good job of setting the stakes of the conflict and uh-huh. uh, and and uh, and you know uh giving clive some killer dialogue right before finishing him off oh, but so good <laughs> but uh <laughs> again like like ultima i think for an endgame villain they at least give us some setup for him and so I've, I've not again, not my favorite villain in the game, but I've seen a lot worse. I mean, I, I like Ultima as a villain, and I actually think that Ultima and um, Barnabas sort of end up kind of having the same function, which is why I think Barnabas is so weak. Barnabas just says the exact same things that Ultima's already said to you, right? Um, and so I think that it makes it a little bit weaker. But I, I think that um, I want to back up for just a second for one second here. But like, sure, will loot itself and Ash. I think is a really compelling space, um, but it's so devoid of everything. Like, like you, there's sort of a rhythm to this game, right? Like you go to a new area, you go to a town, you meet the leader, they give you a something to like go do side quests or whatever. So people will trust you. And that doesn't happen in Ash um, because Ash is basically turned entirely Akashic because Ultima has turning everybody into zombies like White Walkers from Game of Thrones. Yes, still here. Um <laughs> But I, I think that um, here is where the side quests, even though they get dumped on you, become really important because uh, Ash is so empty. They gi- um, they give you like twenty side quests at once in the yeah. fi- in the final act of the game. Yeah, it's like, like ten, and then one quest, and then fifteen. <laughs> uh, but I yeah. think that it it ultimately is what fleshes out Ash because like my favorite side quest in the game is in a little town in Ash where like someone who was working for Joshua's like sort of group. Uh, goes to investigate them and like you kind of help them live their faith out um and like they want to become these white walker akashics um and i think it's really interesting so i think that they're i wish they were like maybe a little bit more going on with loot as you were going through it um but i think that the side quests again become essential like if you don't do them like you're missing out on so much context mm-hmm. but i like ultima <laughs> they actually answer your question it, it well I, I i do like ultima but i i sort of just think it's um I, I don't know. Like, like I, I don't like having a conversation with Ultima, but I, but I do like Ultima as a final villain of the game. And and to go back to Ash and Walud, it is a bit of a shock when you know all this, all the cities in Storm that you encounter are mostly living, breathing communities. Where it, while in Walud slash Ash, it's only monsters and Akashic zombies and uh, and a wasteland. And um, and so so it's it's a bit it's a bit of a a, a, a bit of a, a shock again, again, that again, you know, um, uh, raises the level of stakes and despair taking place in this world. And, uh, but I, I going back to Ultima for a moment, 
I love the Ultima final battle. This is a kick-ass final battle. Um, you, you have to, you sort of uh, summon the icons one by one. Um, the Ultima fight uh, goes through multiple phases. The uh, it ends up as a as a giant crazy space battle. Uh, uh, and leading up to it, um, um, both Dion and Joshua provide assists to get Clive in a position to fight Ultima. It, I, I, I maybe not my favorite fight in the game because I think Titan is still my favorite uh, fight overall. But uh, a really, really worthy final battle to this game. Uh, I, I do mentioning uh, those parts when um, you you'd be using different icons to fight him. I find it really cool, or I really love the touch when you hear voices of different side characters like supporting Clive along along that fight. So cool. Well a little yeah. bit of a, fi- of a Final Fantasy IV uh you, you you can't give up kind of moment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it reminded me a lot of a moment from Endwalker, which I will not spoil for those who have not played it yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> reminded me of Earthbound. <laughs> oh fight. yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Ten, it reminded me a little bit of Xenoblade three as well, but not in a good way. <laughs> oh, no. Except for the fact that they both take place in origin. <laughs> I, I I remember yeah. I, I remember in the final battle in Persona 4, I was thinking, oh, this is a Final Fantasy 4 moment. So so I, I guess, you know, like listening to the, the prayers and hopes and dreams of everyone you've met along the way is a, a bit of a JRPG trope, but it is not one I've, I've grown tired of. I so am a it was, sucker for that. I, I, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it, it, it's great. And, and Final Fantasy 16 is full of so many moments of high emotion and high drama that... Uh, Oh man, the the ending is a gut punch. Like it 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 looks like Joshua and Dion might be might be deceased, and and Clive is barely clinging on to life uh, on a on an unknown shore, but but with enough vagueness that I can't say for certain if any of them are dead. Um, but then but with Jill and Torgal and others um, mourning the presumed loss of Clive, uh. It, it 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 ends on and then it ends on a uh, on a sort of a flash forward where um uh, peop, uh a, a a small family living peacefully uh knows the story of Clive and Joshua as sort of a as sort of an, an ancient legend um but but the world seems to be healthy and thriving in this in this far future in, instead of uh instead of dying from crystal overindulgence like uh, like in the in uh, most of Final Fantasy 16 but um we've mentioned DLCs a couple times very recently, uh, a, a week or so ago, they they uh, Square Enix announced that there will be two paid DLCs minimum for Final Fantasy 16, um, as well as uh, some new changes like new costumes and glamour options for weapons, which is something that I'm uh, pretty excited about. And now I finally might play this in Final Fantasy mode. Um, but we know that there's a missing water icon, uh, pro- definitely Leviathan, that I think is going to be the subject of one DLC. Do we do we have any I- other ideas or, or hopes for what DLC for this game might be? Because, I mean, I'll take almost anything. I'll, I'll take I'll take just another five hunts and three weapons. I, I really have no idea um, because like I. I was like, oh, there's going to be a DLC to this game, but like, but the way the game ends, like, it's basically like magic is being taken out of the world. Um, I do think that Clive probably survived because, like, they give you a quill in one of the side quests, and he's probably the one who wrote mm-hmm. the book 
Final Fantasy, which I love that they had that moment here. Um, and oh, and and, and and the moment where Final Fantasy, we're sorry, where, where Clive yells to Ultimate, uh, <laughs> the, the, he he says Final Fantasy <laughs> it's so in the awesome. actual. I'll leave, let me find the actual. <laughs> keep going, but I'll find the actual line. <laughs> yeah, um, but I don't know. I mean, like I would love a DLC that gives us the ability to play as more characters. Um, I, I think a Sid prequel is the most likely. Um, even if that involves Leviathan in some way, or um, I think Barnabas will come up, but I, I don't know how any DLC to this game is not a prequel, right? So like, I don't know what it will be, but outside of Leviathan, I'm not certain of anything, but I really would love the opportunity to play as some of these characters who look like they would be so much fun to control. Okay. Oh, my, my concept for DLC is like uh, Jill. It's about Jill. And it's like, it alternates between like her experience in the Iron Kingdom and like, her looking for Clive, who I also think, like Zach, is alive. Um, so it's like her, you know, reflecting on her past while, like, you know, um, her and Torgo looking for her, you know, for Clive. It's, I don't know, like, I feel like it's just like this hazy concept of like emo- uh, emotional kind of s- subdued DLC, not really a lot of combat. That's just my my personal wish, I think. I I like that idea, but I also sort of like the idea that maybe uh, Jill becomes the dominant of Leviathan to gain powers to in order to find Clive. Yeah, like maybe Clive is missing, but they 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 detect him faintly, and she's able to use the power of Leviathan to find Clive. Like I I, I pretty I'm pretty sure, like reclaiming clive or rescuing clive will be dlc and leviathan will be involved in some dlc i I do not know how or what exactly but those are my those are my instincts at least and and i i I did find the line um before striking the final blow against ultima clive says the only fantasy here is yours and we shall be your final witness which is maybe a little corny Maybe a little yeah. on the nose, but I loved it. Yeah. Yes, Corning on the nose in a way I like. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. I, like, I, I think like every Final Fantasy fan in the world playing that in their heart of hearts said, he said the thing! They never say the thing! <laughs> and uh, and I, I felt that. Yeah, same here. Uh, going back to the DLC, though, um, I do think that um they would make more or they would make more content in regards to before the before the game ended like it it could possibly be yeah delving into what happened to leviathan and also uh a lot of the parts when the game had a lot of time skips so maybe that could help flesh out the story a lot more apart from um the, the other dominants having their own character arcs. So, yeah, I, those are just my guesses. But hopefully, I'm 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 gonna just take it all in and and I'm gonna just look forward to all of it. I, I yeah, I, I mean I don't care what the DLC is. I'm gonna play all of it, <laughs> even even if it's like an Otome game where Dion meets his boyfriend, something like I, I, I would. I'm I am ready for any Final Fantasy VI content they prepare. I think that they. Again, this was a huge budget game that makes a lot of very distinct and deliberate choices. Some bold ones, some 
sort of predictable ones like like from the very beginning I, I was i was pretty sure clive was ifrit like 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 i i wasn't surprised by those revelations but it was all presented so in, in such a cool manner that i you know i i i loved experiencing every plot point in the moment so i i'll i'll play any dlc they have and i and i think that we're going to have at least 2 years of final fantasy 16 content going forward maybe 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 more because i, I but again this is this is the most I've enjoyed Final Fantasy in a long, long time. Even I think I even like it more than when I was deepest into Final Fantasy fourteen. With with uh, apologies to the twenty seven Final Fantasy fourteen fans on staff. Um, this just this is such a special game, and even though it is it is sort of huge budget, uh, in in a it, like even though it's a huge budget game that uh plays it safe in some ways it, it the writing is so good and the story was so good that i i just want more and and i mm -hmm. and i play this thing for a solid 45 hours and it's like I, I could i could play it for another 45 maybe i will i want i had that feeling like i wanted more but at the same time i was actually pretty satisfied with the ending yeah it, to the it, point it's a big that, satisfying game but i still yeah. wanted more because i liked it yeah, so much yeah exactly <laughs> But yeah, I was gonna ask as well. Like, how were you guys after finishing the game? Because I was a mess. I was really. Oh, I was. I was crying. weepy. Yeah, I was very <laughs> weepy. Yeah. When 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 Torgal was sad and started howling a little bit. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, That's I, that, a tough that, one. That was rough. Yeah. At, at least this isn't one of those games where the dog dies at the end. If 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 Torgal oh, or God. Ambrosia, if Torgal or Ambrosia had died. I might have turned off my PS5. I mean, my score, my score would have gone down by 50 points. No way. Absolutely not. This game now has an absolute ceiling of 47. <laughs> yeah, the entire time I was playing the game, like every chapter, I would always just hope that please don't kill Torgo. Please don't kill Torgo. <laughs> I, oh, I, I'm not sure if I was worried about Torgal dying, but because, but I was more focused on it, 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 in the moment. I was, but, but yeah, this is just an overall satisfying game that I don't think even overstays its welcome, really, because you don't, you don't have to do all that, all those end game hunts and side content if you don't want to. But uh, it's also good. I, I did want to. Um, mm -hmm. and and this is also, I mean, especially since we were confirmed with the recent announcement of DLC, this is not the last we're seeing of clive and his friends but uh exactly what that'll be we're not sure maybe, maybe um we're recording this before tokyo game show maybe we'll get some details then uh maybe we have to wait uh considerably longer but uh we'll see um but listeners uh we've been going at this for almost 90 minutes thank you so much for listening us to us um just celebrate final fantasy 16 um this is one of the biggest rpg releases of the year i dare say it's a contender for game of the year um on rpg fan when year's end happens but there's also your uh baldur's gates 3 and your starfields and your zeldas maybe getting in the way of that but there's a uh, um but, but at, at least i'm comfortable calling final fantasy 16 an on the waterfront contender and um yeah, I, I mean, Geo Tin Zack is, is is this your favorite game you've played all year? Yes, hands down for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I well, I played Hollow Knight at the very beginning of the year, and I it's it's actually close, and I love Hollow Knight, so um, yeah, um, it's my favorite game that's come out this year that I've played for sure. 
And yeah. I didn't even talk about Octopath Traveler 2, which I adored. You know what I mean? Ooh. So it's it's wild. I thought Octopath Traveler 2 and Fire Emblem Engage were real good, but not Final Fantasy 16 good. Agreed. Yeah, for me, uh, I'm not sure. I feel like I, I play. I just finished um, Fire Emblem 7, the Blazing Blade. Oh, nice. Because it just came out on switch online and it's like my first oh yeah I, I i love that game um uh, blazing blade and path of radiance are my two favorite fire emblems yeah I, oh my god I, I really enjoy blazing blade and uh i think it's probably my favorite game i played this year uh no no like and but that doesn't mean if ff16 is a bad game or uh, what else did i play this year uh future redeemed sound of chronicles 3 that's oh nice you'll see yeah um that was also so good also disco was... elysium i've played a lot of good stuff this year oh yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah 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 it's so, really tough. Mm-hmm. But I think of for, it's definitely my favorite game that came out this year. And uh, I don't think I don't see anything else topping it unless um, I somehow end up enjoying Tears of the Kingdom more than I am. I, I need to play <laughs> Tears of the Kingdom um, uh, or need, I need to play more of it. I've, I've, I'm less than 10 hours in, but I, I um, by the time we're ready to do to discuss game of the year. I hopefully will have finished that and uh, probably probably more uh, before then because I, I have Sea of Stars waiting in my Switch to play next. But I'm currently I, playing it now. Oh, nice. Mm. Another game that it's was pretty re- good, I'd say. Another <laughs> game that reviewed very highly on RPGFan.com. But uh, uh, listeners, um, I, th- thank you again for joining us on this Final Fantasy 16 journey. I'm sure we'll be talking more about FF16 when Game of the Year stuff starts to happen. But for now, I think it's uh, time that we um, start uh, housekeeping on this episode. Um, coming soon on Retro Encounter, we have Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter, two episodes coming in dis- in September. I uh, need to start getting uh, playing that uh, much more intensely to, be- to prepare for those episodes. But um, I'm really looking forward to playing that because uh, the last time I played a, a Breath of Fire game was for this podcast, Breath of Fire 4, many years ago, and I enjoyed the hell out of that. So let's see how the fifth one is. Um, but coming in October, we've started to plan that out already. We're doing an episode all about hmm, the present and future of Dragon Quest, I will say, and also another episode on Rhapsody, a musical adventure, which was made available on a... Uh, Nippon Ichi Classics Collection at the end of last year and recently had its um, uh, two sequels come out on a new collection and and those Marvel Kingdom games were never available um, outside Japan before so uh, there's an unusual amount of uh, Rhapsody content happening in 2023 and we'll discuss the original game on two podcasts in October. But uh, listeners, if you want to message us about Final Fantasy 16 or Breath of Fire or Rhapsody or if Torgal's a very good boy or not, you can email us retro at rpgfan.com. RPG Fan also has presences on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, YouTube, Twitch, always called either RPG Fan or RPG Fancom. Uh, also, more recently on Threads and, and Blue Sky, all the social medias, all the websites, please find RPG Fan. Um, RPG Fan also has a shop on rpgfan.com slash shop where you can uh, purchase RPG Fan emblazoned merchandise, including cups, and uh, baby onesies and shirts and I I think keychains or maybe keychains are still coming. But there's a lot of ways to support RPG fan, including uh, the online shop. 
But uh, my favorite way to support RPG fan is through his podcast. Shocking, I know. Um, in addition to Retro Encounter, we have Random Encounter every two weeks about randomness and current RPG events, and Rhythm Encounter every other two weeks about RPG music. You can review Random, Rhythm, and Retro Encounter on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or however you choose to listen to podcasts. Please give us all the feedback you're willing to provide, especially if it's five stars out of five. But if you want to give us five-star reviews as people and not as podcasts, let's tell the listeners how they can find us individually starting with you zach uh the best way is probably email zach w at rpgfan.com you can also find me on rpg fans discord at zach w now joe you can find me on the discord as well i go by puchi carrot uh, that's p-u-c-h-i-c-a-r-a-t after the arcade game oh interesting yeah and uh, uh tin how can listeners find you Oh, same, same with everyone. You can simply find me on Discord and mostly online. And uh, I go by with the with just the name Tin. Uh, I would also describe myself as mostly online, uh, but um, and there's and uh, it's become a little bit more complicated. The best ways to find me on Twitter, I am at the Real Monsoon. On Instagram, I am Evoker for Dogs. On Blue Sky, I am Solosi. And on Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. Because having a different name on every platform is confusing. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, listeners, one thing I'm not confused by is how much I enjoyed Final Fantasy 16, which is a true Final Fantasy game and is an RPG. And that is the final word on the matter. Thank you. Good night. And good luck. Good luck.